man. It's just amazing how fast time flies when you worship in the Lord. And even better when you worship in the Lord with the people of God. Amen. Well, I'm super, super excited tonight. We have a powerful preacher that's about to release the word. Me. No. <laughs> a really, really powerful preacher, a great friend, a daughter of the house. If you've been through Enema in the last while, you would have seen her. C O C R C. <laughs> Hails from Ireland. <laughs> a doctor, pediatrician in one of the esteemed hospitals. Don't ask her for medical advice. She's not going to give it. <laughs> Come on, let us welcome Elaine O'Connell to the stage to preach the gospel. Release the power of God. David for the wonderful introduction. I hope the grace of God is on me and I can live up to that tonight. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Elaine. Asked me to uh, speak to you guys tonight um, about something that I shared on Tuesday. But when I was seeking God about it, I really felt that he wanted me to tweak it ever so slightly. And the word that he put on my heart was stir it up. So tonight the title of my sermon is Return to Sender. And the two main scriptures that God really placed on my heart are 2 Tim Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, and Genesis 2, verse 7. So we'll just read those now. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and that I am persuaded is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, when you might be like, what is she talking about? But trust me, it will come together in the end. God formed man out of the dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. And you know what? It's really my prayer tonight that you would be stirred up to use what God has placed on the inside of you, inside each and every one of you, and use it for his glory. Because I honestly believe that inside each and every one of you, God has placed something. Whether or not you see it or believe it yourself, it's already in you, and it's time to stir it up. So let's just open in prayer tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Though the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word endures forever. Holy Spirit, would you just come and speak to our hearts tonight? We didn't come to be entertained, but to be drastically changed by a word from heaven. So Lord, would you just come and dwell in this place tonight, dwell in our hearts and do what only you can do. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you probably gathered by now, I am a Christian and I'm also a doctor. 
And I say it in that particular order on purpose because Jesus is my first love. His ways, his words, his commands, his calling and his kingdom are my very reason for being and for getting up out of bed in the morning. But at the same time, I'm also a doctor and that's something that I am super passionate about. So I graduated in 2018 in Ireland with a degree in medicine, obstetrics and gynecology, surgery and pediatrics. And I've been practicing as a doctor for almost five years now. And I've worked across a lot of different areas, including adult emergency medicine, trauma surgery, head and neck cancer, GP practices, and more recently neonates and pediatrics. And I can genuinely say that it is not the high-flying, glamorous life that Hollywood portrays it to be. On a very serious note, my colleagues and I, we face death and disease and sickness every single day. I've genuinely lost count of the amount of times that I've had to resuscitate and do CPR on a person. And without being graphic or gory, when there is somebody literally dead in front of you and you have to press so hard on their chest and electrocute them to get their heart to beat again, that is something that no school of life or school of medicine can ever prepare you for. I've lost time, count of the amount of times I've had to explain to families that despite our best efforts, they've been in vain and we haven't been able to save their loved one. I've lost count of the amount of times I've had to tell a woman that she's having a miscarriage. And my goodness, I have lost count of the amount of tears that I've shed at a patient's bedside with parents whose child is dying and they have no idea how they could possibly continue without them. It is a daily battle but it's also a calling and a vocation. And it's one that I believe that, God, that I couldn't do if God hadn't called me to it. And I genuinely admire my colleagues who don't believe in God, yet still practice in the field of medicine. So now, is I'm just gonna share the testimony of how I came to be a doctor. Because my goodness, all glory to God, my journey is one in which God's hand is clearly imprinted on. So, growing up, I was absolutely terrified of blood, like petrified. So when you, I used to go to the GP and get my bloods taken, the sight of the empty blood bottle, before he even took the blood, the empty blood bottle used to make me faint. I was ridiculous. And there was nobody medical in my family and becoming a doctor was something that I never even thought about once. So when I completed high school, I enrolled in an undergraduate degree in occupational therapy. And the week before I started, my uncle Tom came to visit from the UK. And at the time I was saved, but I was in no way, shape or form living for the Lord. But Tom was a spirit-filled Christian. And he came back to Ireland and he said to me, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a prophetic word and I took no notice of it. And he said, Elaine, you're going to be a doctor. Just call the university and tell them you've changed your mind. And of course I immediately laughed it off because it was absolutely absurd. Not only was it impossible to just ring up the university and be like, yo, I changed my mind, I wanna be a doctor. I also had zero interest in being a doctor. But little did I know that God had other plans and the truth of the proverb, we make our plans but the Lord commands our steps was about to unfold before my very eyes. So fast forward to my final year in my degree. And at this point I was walking hand in hand with Jesus and I was driving home from university and like I said, I had never once thought about doing, being a doctor again. And out of the blue, Holy Spirit did what I call one of his bomb drops, where it's just like, boom, he drops a word so clearly and solidly in my heart that it is unshakable. And it was really simple. It was just do medicine. And at the same time, he whispered into my heart, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, 
which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make... It was so clear that I didn't even question it. There was no confusion whatsoever, only peace. My crippling fear of blood instantly left. And once I fully surrendered to his will and obeyed him, God began to open doors of opportunity for me that I did not even think were possible. And it is such a testament to the goodness of God and a display of his magnificent glory. So after I graduated, I applied, I sat the entrance exam and I got a place in medical school. And that's when the undeserved and unwarranted favor began to explode. Based on my grades from my undergrad, I was given a scholarship to study medicine. And by the grace of God, somehow I managed to graduate every single year in the first place at the top of my class in medical school. And if that wasn't good enough, if his favor wasn't already incredible, one particular year, I was awarded a university-wide scholarship where I was chosen as the top academic scholar out of 25,000 students. It is bizarre. And I don't in any way, any way say that to blow my own trumpet because I am so convinced and I know that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And I am absolutely one of those. God used a donkey to carry his glory. And half the time I go around with a saddle on my back. I am not saying that this for me. I am saying it to acknowledge that every good thing, every blessing comes from above. Everything that is within me Everything that God has placed on the inside of me is all from Him. Everything that I achieve is because of Him and it is through Him. For from Him, through Him and to Him are all things. He deserves the glory. And you know what? That goes for everybody here, regardless of your job title or your profession, regardless of your skills or abilities. God has placed something down on the inside of each of you. And tonight I want to challenge you and encourage you to recognize that, to stir it up and return it to the sender so that he can use it for his glory. Don't allow what you can't see in yourself to make you lose faith in what God says about you. In his word, he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says that you are blessed, anointed, and highly favored. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath, and that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Our own view and vision of ourselves will disqualify us, but God's view and vision will empower us and equip us. It has nothing to do with our own abilities and strengths. In our weakness, he is made strong. So tonight, give him your loaves and fish and watch him multiply. Give him your slingshot and your rocks and watch him slay the giants in your life. And you know what? Don't compare yourself to me. Don't compare yourself to anybody else, but run your own race and fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left or to the right. Because at the end of the day, we're all the same. In Genesis, as I read, it says we came from nothing but dirt. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. We are all a bunch of dirt bags. We came from nothing but dirt. And when you juxtapose that with the splendor and majesty of our God and his creation, it's just incredible. When you think of the wonders of the world, the pyramids in Egypt, Niagara Falls, the gates in heaven made of pearl, the, the roads of gold, but then when you think of you and I, God's most prized possession, he chose to use dirt. And God's been showing us since the beginning of time, 
just what he can work with when we surrender and put it into our hands. God doesn't need clean, pristine, Pinterest-perfect people to carry his glory. Second Chronicles tells us that he looks to and fro over the earth, looking for a heart that is willing, a heart that is willing to surrender and return the glory to him. Like I said, it's not our own attributes, our own brains, our hard work, our ambition or determination. He is the only one that can take a great mess like you and I and use it to display his greatness, as Carmen shared. When we get used like that, when God uses us, then people look and they say, oh, it is not by power or by might, but by his spirit. And he gets all the glory that he alone deserves. And you know what, guys? I know I may have insulted you by calling you a bunch of dirtbags, but what I want you to grasp tonight is this. Dirt is the only environment that is, is conducive for a seed. I'll say that again. Dirt is the only environment that is conducive for a seed. You cannot plant a seed in gold. You can't plant a seed in a diamond. And although we came from dirt, there is a seed inside each and every one of us. A God-given gift that the world is waiting for you to stir up and use for him. To stir up and do business until Jesus comes back. To stir up and push back the gates of Hades. So tonight I want to encourage you, stir past the fear. Stir past the doubt. Stir past what other people have said about you. And step into your God-given calling. Because we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works of God, which he created long ago. And that might look different for everyone. We don't have to be carbon copies of each other. Everyone's handiwork and good works is different. Each of us are called to bloom and grow where God has planted us. And you know what? You're never just anything. You're never just a teacher. You're God's representative in the classroom every day to the students and fellow teachers. You're never just an engineer representative in the construction field. You're never just a student, never just a stay-at-home mom, never just retired. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are God's representative in your work, in your community, in your family, and in your home. So allow him to use you and to command your steps so that when people look at you, they will see the light shining out of you and they will give glory to your Father in heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And I don't say this in any way to threaten you or scare you tonight, but to give it to you as a wake-up call. And it's one that for some of you might be long overdue. In my family, if we're doing things too slowly, my dad gives us what we call a G-up. And that's a horse racing turn for like a kind of a, a kick up the bum to get moving. So if we're, me, mom, and my sister are shopping and we're taking too long, dad will call us and give us a G-up. So tonight, I am giving you your G-up to stir up what God has placed down on the inside of you. Please, don't live your life like the servant who wasted the bag of talents that his master gave him. I don't know about you, but I long for the day where I stand before God and he says, well thought, good and faithful servant. Well dreamed, good and faithful servant. No, he does not say that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the key. 
we have to do something with what God has planted on the inside of us. We can't just hypothesize and think about it. We need to put our hand to the plow and get busy doing the business of God until he returns. I've said it so many times before, but I will say it again. We've only one life. This too shall pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And as it says in Colossians chapter 3, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to switch gears ever so slightly now. And because I'm a Christian who's a doctor, I can't not address the elephant in the room. So science and theology are two of the most powerful forces shaping human culture. Each in its own way provides a source of meaning and morals. Each offers a theory of the cosmos and humanity of their origins and of the way they relate to one another. But historically, each does so from very different perspectives. And between those two perspectives, there tends to be a long-standing history of tension, some genuine and some illusionary. But faith and science can never ignore one another. Both are focused on human life and its meaning. And it's at this juncture point that the two must confront each other as either friends or foes. And medicine stands at the confluence of the perspectives between science and theology. And as a Christian who's a doctor, I do not believe that the two need to be mutually exclusive. Rather, they work beautifully in tandem with one another. Theology and faith and the church need not fear the expansion of knowledge of medicine or science. If we truly believe that the world is God's creation, then everything we learn simply reveals more of him. It's not knowledge that's dangerous. It's the unethical or inappropriate use or abuse or idolization of knowledge that is. And the more that I practice and learn about medicine, the more I am in complete awe of God's creation, his indescribable genius, his intellect and his intricacies. And we've only just begun to scratch the surface of his amazing handiwork. And if you don't believe me, I hope in these next few minutes I'll be able to convince you. So a scripture that we're all familiar with is found in Genesis chapter 1, which reads, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And you know, it's truly fascinating to see God's fingerprint at the very core of our cellular makeup as human beings. The blueprints of anatomy, physiology, genetics, and biochemistry, everything points to a loving, redeeming, and incredibly intelligent creator. All of creation, including you and I, declare the glory and wonders of God, even if we don't realize it. So if the media team could pop up the first slide. So what you see here on the screen, in this top corner, is what we call a cross-sectional illustration of a layer of tissue in the body called epithelial tissue. And so the other major tissues in the body that you might be more familiar with are skeletal tissue, neural tissue, connective tissue, and muscular tissue. And common to all of these tissue types in the body, in every single cell in our body, is a structure called the basement membrane, which is zoomed up here and highlighted in blue. And the basement membrane is the ultimate foundation for all cells in the body. It's the architecture that holds individual cells together, groups of cells together, tissues together and organs together in order for them to maintain their integrity and function. Without the basement membrane, in the most simplest of terms, quite literally everything would fall apart and the human body could not function or survive. 
And the other pictures that you see here are just some real-life electron microscope views of the basement membrane. So there's an example of the nephron in the kidneys, the alveoli in the lungs, and the retinal layer in the eye. But are you ready for the cool part? When you look even closer at the basement membrane, when you examine right down to its simplest, most elemental anatomical structure, you find a single protein called laminin. And this single protein is the backbone of the basement membrane. And it's the glue that holds the basement membrane together. So in essence, you could technically say that it holds life itself together. Take a look for it yourself and see what it looks like. Does it look familiar? At our very core, at the very essence of you and I, there lies the cross, there lies the precious gift of eternal life. The completed and finished works of the cross is embedded in our very DNA, in every single cell of our body. Salvation and the redeeming, restorative love of God is coursing through our veins. And this is real life proof that he is before him, all things hold together. And if that wasn't enough, check this next slide out. So this isn't a game of spot the difference. What these pictures show is the undeniable similarity between a tree and its branches and the anatomy of the human respiratory system. And as I'm sure you can tell, so the top picture over there is a bare tree with its many branches, but beneath it is the internal structures of our airways showing our windpipe or our trachea and its many dividing branches called our bronchi when the external tissue of the lung is removed. And these branches are what move air in and out of our body and ensure that all of our organs are oxygenated. In a single 24-hour period, the average adult takes over 20,000 breaths in. One day, 20,000 breaths. And each and every one of those breaths, as Carmen so beautifully shared, is a gift from him who first breathed life into us. And whether you believe in him or not, the simple fact of the matter is so clear. Without him, there isn't even breath in our lungs. There isn't life. But on the other hand, with him breathing life into us, both literally and spiritually, we can bear much fruit. Without him, as John 15 says, we can do nothing. And as the final proof of God's fingerprint in medicine, let's take a look at the human brain. I hope you've not had your dinner too recently. This is one of the most beautiful and intricate organs in the body. So here on the right is the undersurface of the brain, as if you're looking at it from the feet upwards. And if you look closely at it, what you might notice are these white tube-like structures coming off in pairs in the midline of the brain. And these are called our cranial nerves. And we've got 12 cranial nerves, and they have a myriad of functions, allowing us to hear, to smell, to move the muscles of our face, smile, swallow, and move our head and neck. My favorite one, however, is the optic nerve, which I know I've spoken about before. But as the name suggests, the optic nerve is the nerve that gives us sight and vision. But check this out. The optic nerve is super unique. Of all of the cranial nerves, it's the only one that has this structure seen zoomed in here. And yep, it's a cross. So the optic nerve fibers decussate at a place called the optic chiasm. And the word chiasm is derived from the Greek word for cross. So the fibers that allow us to see that give us vision are literally fixed on a cross. 
And we all know that there's only one cross that matters, one cross that we must fix our eyes on, and that's the cross of Calvary and the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you know, in my life, I have seen God do some truly, truly incredible things. I've seen him miraculously and instantly heal people, including myself. And I've also seen him use medicine to heal people. Who are you and I to limit God to say that he can only heal when we have faith, that he can only heal when we pray and when we lay hands? Why can't he also use medicine, which he created, to heal and prevent sickness and death? You know, you and I, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. My hands, my doctor's hands, are extensions of Jesus's hands. The surgeon who operates on your back or removes your tumor, his hands are an extension of Jesus's loving and healing hands. The physician who treats your cholesterol and diabetes, the cardiologist who stents your heart, the psychiatrist who treats your mental health, whether or not they believe in God does not matter. They are an extension of Jesus's loving and healing hands. But let me make my personal beliefs clear. I firmly believe that as sons and daughters of the Most High, health and healing is our portion. I believe that God is the ultimate divine healer and he has given us the ability to operate in the gift of healing. I believe that Jesus defeated disease and death upon the cross and that we have authority to rebuke all kinds of sickness, be it mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual. I've said it before, but I will say it again. I am a Christian before I am a doctor. And as David said, if you come to me with a medical issue, first and foremost, 100% of the time, I will always point you to God, to his word, and I will pray for you. But I also do believe that medicine and healthcare play an important role. And I'm not saying that you should just blindly pop a pill and follow medical advice willy-nilly for any and every ailment. But without fear, we must ask God and seek his wisdom on the path that we should go. So what I'm going to do now, just before we finish up, is I'm going to share a couple of testimonies with you that is evidence that our God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. So I'm going to tell you three very quick personal testimonies of healing in my own life, deepest, darkest secrets. But anywho, the first one happened when I was in my uh, mid-twenties, and something that I grew up doing was playing sport. And two of the sports that I played were basketball and Gaelic football, the one true football that you can play. <laughs> and I played quite high-level sport. I played um, on the Irish team for basketball and on the county team for football. So I was really into it. And one time I was at a training session and it happened to be three days before I was going on a mission trip with a, a Christian group called Blessed to be a Blessing. And I wish that I could say I did like this very extravagant, glorious tackle or dive, but I didn't. I was acting the Egypt and I literally fell over myself. And when I fell over, the pain that I felt was something indescribable. And I looked down and my push, my ankle was already in next week. It was facing the total wrong direction. So we made the very familiar trip into the accident and emergency room in hospital because I knew that I had broken my ankle and dislocated it. So when we got in there, the x-rays confirmed that it was broken and that it was dislocated and I would have to be put into a cast. Now going to the Philippines on a medical mission and a Christian mission in a cast was absolutely not possible. But when the doctor gave us the news, my sister and my mom and myself refused to accept it. 
And we said, no, we serve a God who heals. We're standing in faith for healing of my leg. And as the days went on, the healing didn't come. And then the night before we were meant to fly out, I was praying and fasting and I was like, come on, God, you need to do something. You need to move a mountain. And he spoke to me and he gave me Psalm 91, verse 9 to 12, which says, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And when I got that word, I was like, okay, cool. I'm believing it. I was in a moon boot. I whipped off the moon boot and started running up and down the hall because I knew that God is a God of his word, that he is not a man that he should lie. And he is Jehovah Rapha. And there and then I instantly was healed and my broken ankle, dislocated ankle was not an issue. And I went on the mission trip. He is so good. And very quickly, I'll tell you two stories. Um, and it's about the limbs. And I don't mean these limbs. I mean Pastor Vera Lim and her daughter, Selena, who also happens to be a doctor. With regard to Pastor Vera, another thing that I love to do is travel and adventure. And the year before I moved to Australia, I went traveling in Central America. And I went to Guatemala and went into a bat cave tour. So in the bat cave tour, it's completely dark. You go trudging through the water and you have a candlestick in your mouth to see. And unfortunately, I accidentally inhaled a load of water as I was climbing up a waterfall. And at the time, I took absolutely no notice. But then two weeks later, on my first day working as a doctor, out of nowhere, I got this ridiculous pain that felt like someone was literally stabbing me. And I had a terrible pain in my chest and I had no idea what was going on. So they admitted me to the hospital because I needed oxygen and they realized that I had pericarditis, which is inflammation around the heart. And then they did a scan of my lungs and they found multiple nodules across both of my lung fields, two of which in particular were right at the edge that were breaching the membrane and that was causing that severe pain. So I was treated with steroids, antibiotics and antifungals. It, it, as a result, it turned out the water that I inhaled had contained a, bacteria, um, a bat fungus in it and Pastor Clive aptly now calls me Batwoman. So, but anywho, I was initially, I was treated with that and then ever since, so in the last number of years, last five years, I've always got intermittent pain in my back from those two nodules until one night when Pastor Vera was here doing her healing ministry and I came up for prayer and since she lay hands on me, I have not once had a single ounce of pain in my back. And lastly, the last story of personal healing happens to do with my hand. Growing up, I had a cushion. Um, some people have blankies or dodos. I had a cushion. His name was very um, intuitive. It was called Cushy. And I used to always play with Cushy and rub Cushy. And you know those bean bags you put in the microwave? I got one of those when I came to Australia because you can't carry Cushy around because that's not cool. So I got one of those bean bags and I used to always rub the bean bag to the point where I started getting really bad pain in my, the base of my thumb. And it started to affect my work. And at the time I was working in neonates and some of the babies that we used to work with used to be extremely premature. So they'd be 24 weeks of life. So babies are meant to come out at 40. The babies would be coming out at 24 weeks. So they were tiny, tiny babies. And the, we used to have to put uh, drips in their hands, tubes in their chest and into their mouth. 
So you had to be really careful and have good finesse with your hands. And I was noticing that my hand was cramping and being incredibly painful to the point where I couldn't do my job. So I went and I got an MRI of my hand and it showed severe destruction and wear and tear of the bone. And I spoke to a plastic surgeon and they said my only option was to have surgery. And then the best outcome would be that I would have 80% function left in my dominant hand, which was absolutely devastating for my career. And I was going to do that and take the risk. And one day we were at church and Pastor Vera's daughter, Selena, laid hands on my hand and prayed for me. I have not once had pain in my hand again, and I do not have to wear the splint, and I can work perfectly. That is the God we serve. God is a healer. He is alive and well, and if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. If he can do it for me, a doctor who's dedicated her life to medicine, he can do it for you. And two other testimonies I just want to share with you. And the reason I want to share them is because I want to want to encourage you, as I said in the start, to allow God to use what he has planted on the inside of you. And I want to encourage you to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and allow him to direct you and use you regardless of what position you find yourself in life. So one of them happened very recently, and I've shared it briefly before, and it happened when I was um, working an evening shift. And I got called to chart medication for a patient who was after having an operation on his hands. And I went in and I charged the medication and because I had loads of other jobs to do, I quickly left. But as I was leaving, Holy Spirit stopped me and he was like, you need to go back and pray for that kid. And I was like, not now, God, I am way too busy. I've got stuff to do, we'll park that. And I kept going and God gripped my heart and he was like, nah, go back and pray for that kid. So begrudgingly, I obeyed and I went back and I went and I spoke to the mom and the patient and I asked if... I could pray with them. I said, I'm a Christian. I believe you mind if I lay hands on his hands and pray for him. And it turned out, mom said to me, you know what? We're also Christians and he is a piano player in the worship band. So we really need and believe in prayer. So would you please pray with us? So we got to pray in the hospital after his operation over his hands that Jesus was using for worship and that the enemy had tried to wipe out. And if it wasn't for that prompting and following and knowing the good shepherd's voice, would have completely missed that opportunity. And then lastly, the last story I wanna tell you before we close in prayer is a story that is so close to my heart. And the reason it's so close to my heart is because it is the first time that I ever combined my faith and medicine together. And it happened when I moved to Australia. I was working in an emergency department and a woman came in and she was having a miscarriage. And I went into her and did my doctor thing, explained to her what was happening. And then as I left, God said, Elaine, go back. You need to tell her that you're a Christian and you need to pray with her. And so I went in and I said it to her. I said, look, I'm a Christian. I've never done this before, but I really want to pray with you. And she poured her heart out to me. And she said that she had, was a backslidden Christian, that she had originally been involved in drugs and was homeless and then had met Jesus and her life had been changed. But she had had three miscarriages and this was her fourth. And that every miscarriage, she had just started to lose more and more faith in Jesus. And so we got to pray together and we got to declare that she would have a fruitful womb, that the enemy would not steal another child from her. 
And so she left and I didn't see her again. And then fast forward six months later, I received a message on my Facebook Messenger from her. And it was a picture of an ultrasound scan of a new baby. And then another nine months later, I got a picture of her beautiful baby, who's now like three years old. His name is Leon, and he is a beautiful baby. So that's the God we serve. That is the God that we need to surrender our lives to. Whatever he has planted in you, stir it up. Allow him to use it so that he can get the glory, so that he can manifest his goodness through your life, so that others can be blessed. It's not about me. It's about who he can reach through me. So I just really want to encourage you to do that tonight. And what we're going to do now is we're just going to worship and enter into a time of prayer. And I want to pray for two specific groups of people. Firstly, you need healing in your mind, in your body, in your heart, or a spiritual healing. Would you please, don't be shy, just stand to your feet and come up and we will pray with you because God is a good God. And secondly, if you need prayer if when I was speaking about stirring up what was planted in you and you felt God tugging your heart that that was you, that this was your G up, come and stand at the front and we will pray with you and activate you. Because you know what? Prayer pushes back the kingdom of darkness. Jesus says, my house will not be a house of good preaching, great worship, lights, cameras, action. No, because that stuff is good, but necessarily it won't necessarily push back the kingdom of darkness. What Jesus says at the end of the day is my house will be a house of prayer. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves in prayer, I will hear them from heaven and I will heal their land. The enemy has no choice but to bow at the name of Jesus in prayer. So would you stand to your feet as we enter into worship and please come for prayer and receive what God has to give you tonight.